Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Let us step back from the usual Fed Day chat. We can do that with Peter Hooper. Uh, with Deutsche Bank, with his wonderful experience in international economics and, of course, central bank watching as well. You mentioned earlier this morning, Dr. Hooper, the dots. You and I would not have talked about the dots X number of years ago. Arthur Burns didn't have dots. Chairman Greenspan didn't have dots. Chair Yellen has dots. Do you assume that any central bank, by definition, reacts after the fact that there can be dots, 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 none of it matters because they have to wait and be what the Latins call ex post. Well, the the dots, uh, this is uh, in, a, in a long train of increasing transparency, the, transparency, the Fed tr- letting, it, letting the market know, letting uh, the public know what their expectations are, where they expect to be. So it's an exercise, yeah, it's I get. An exercise, sure. But do they have to wait and be exposed as Mr. Timberlake of Georgia and, frankly, as Anna Schwartz and others have written about? They, in Meltzer, they have to react after the fact, right? Well, they, they react to incoming data, no question. But at any point in time, they have an expectation about what's, uh, what, what's, what's going forward. Um, I, I think, you know, uh, there's been a lot happening recently. Uh, the, the shift in the fiscal policy, the shift in the shift towards uh, somewhat higher inflation. Um, so the, you know, the likelihood is we're going to see some some movement here in reaction to what's been going on. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, now, when I say some movement, I say we'll see some of the dots move up uh, to get. The, the median dot, there are, right now, the, the, what the chart looks like, there are six uh, FOMC participants. Dots work on radio. There are six, <laughs> dot, there are six dots clustered around, uh, clustered around three, <clears throat> three rate hikes next year. Yeah. Uh, four of those would have to move up to get the median to move, okay? Because there are five above and there are quite a bit more below. So uh, at, 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 at this point, yeah, it's a close call. I, I don't think we have quite enough momentum to get there. I don't think uh, the committee is going to want to uh, maybe tie Jay Powell's hands quite so directly yet. But uh, uh, th- that'll be something that if if indeed the data over the next three months continue to improve, yeah. they have the luxury of shifting in March, raising rates in March, and saying we expect to do three more uh, this year. Peter, let's react to the headlines, shall we? OPEC boost in the forecast for rival supply they don't see a balance until late 2018. I want to fold in what's happening in the commodity market into mm-hmm. the Fed debate because in mm-hmm. many ways, the rollover in crude is what set off a big step back for many central banks around the world. For the Fed not be able to increase interest rates in the way they would like to and for the ECB to go crazy and start doing some incredible things with its balance sheet. The commodity story is now more supportive mm-hmm. of higher inflation at least for now and potentially in the future as well. Is that something they've got to deal with next year? That, that, that is a factor. Uh, now, I will say that uh, you know, the, the rig count in the U.S. has been rising and the expectation is maybe uh, we're topping on oil prices. They could, could, could level off, maybe soften just a little bit. So there's not a, there's not a, a strong commodity boom driving this. It, it is a factor. It's contributing. But I think more important for the Fed is what's happening to, to the core. 
uh, that yeah. is what they see as having uh, more sustainability uh, going forward. Well, let's talk and, about the core of the economy. GDP's mm-hmm. running at three. Unemployment's mm-hmm. down in the fours. They're going into next year. We're looking at the dots. We look at the dots because mm-hmm. we want to see where the market is relative to where the Fed thinks mm-hmm. rates will be next year. And there's still a spread. Yep. How is that spread going to reconcile with the market up to the dots or the dots down to the market? Uh, I think we, af- after a long, after many years of Fed coming down to the market, I think we're shifting now. The market is now coming back up to the Fed, and I think that will continue. What's what's changed over the last five years is we've had the unemployment rate go from double digits down to almost four percent. Yeah, and that that process has not has not ended. Uh, the economy growing at two and a half three percent. Uh, supply side of the economy continues to grow at, at well less than two right now. So the momentum in the labor market has not ended. You're going to see the unemployment rate drop further. We think it's going into the mid threes by, by the end of next year. Uh, FOMC projection, consensus of economists see it leveling off at four. So we think the risk is further tightening. And that is going to uh, our own forecast is for four rate heights next year. And that's, that's a very important part of the yeah. reason. Peter Hooper, Deutsche Bank chief economist. See, for me, Tom, it's crucial. It's what's changed this year. And it's the Fed leading the market, not the market leading the Fed. And it sets us up quite nicely for next year, in which most people I've spoken to, Tom, and I don't know about you, think exactly the same thing is going to happen in 2018. A repeat of 2017, where the market has to catch up with the Fed and not vice versa. Yeah, I I would say that's certainly the zeitgeist. You almost see it in the dots. But I, I would look at the economic data coming in and Again, I go to the Honeywell single headline today of 7 to 8% organic revenue growth. That's a headline that was basically unimaginable in 2017 as they look out next year, Mr. Cote and Honeywell. We'll do some work on that in surveillance in the coming days with our great Bloomberg Intelligence industrial team as well. Peter Hooper, thank you so much for briefing us uh, this morning. He is with uh, Deutsche Bank. We continue with Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Communications Director, founder of Skybridge Capital, and as well. One of the great untold stories of Republican politics is Dina Powell. She came out of Texas. She came off a boat, off the proverbial plane, not speaking English, from Egypt. Her parents ran a convenience store. She's one of the huge successes for women in the Republican Party. The reports are that Ms. Powell will exit the White House. You exited under a lot different uh, uh, terms, et cetera, if you will. How alone is this president going to be after the one-year exit that's assumed? Maybe Tillerson, definitely Powell and others. Is there a bench to replace the first go-around of the Trump administration? Uh, yeah, not only is there a bench, I think there's an unlimited supply of people that would want to work for the president. So to me, uh, let's talk about Dina for a second. She's an amazing person. She's very, very gifted. Uh, I think she's been super instrumental on the blueprint of the peace plan that I think will mm-hmm. be unveiled probably in the first or second quarter of next year. Uh, brilliant person. Uh, she's got a great touch with people. Uh, the president is very close to her. I want you to respond to the comment made every day, which is there's a set of people led by generals around the president that 
people feel are there doing a public service. You were in the trenches of this. General Mattis, General Kelly, General McMaster, and others, maybe even Mr. Tillerson, are they there for the president or are they there because they have a duty bound to the Republican Party and the nation to assist this unique president? Well, listen, I, I, I think they're there for the president. And at the end of the day, he hired them. So uh, uh, Fair. I think he has a lot of respect for for all three of them. Uh, I'm, I'm closer to General McMaster. Uh, than I am to uh, General Mattis. Obviously, I didn't know General Kelly. Uh, my joke was if uh, I had known General Kelly, maybe he would have given me a bar of soap and told me to go wash my mouth out. Uh, and my guess is I would have gotten along with General Kelly. But but I think they're both, or all three of them, are distinguished patriotic Americans. Uh, I think it's unfair to characterize them the way people do characterize them. Well, they're doing a public service and uh, and the president's controversial and they're there to kind of rein him in. I really don't believe any of that stuff. I was there, uh, although I was there for a short period of time. Uh, the president's been his own person, his own boss, if you will, for 45 plus years. Uh, and that's not going to change do anytime you, soon. Do you get a pension? That was a joke, John. Do I, you know, pick do it I up. Get a pension? Yeah, get if, a I, pension? If, I, if I stayed another Every- two thousand five hundred and sixty days, maybe I would have gotten one. You know Steve Bannon. I didn't take any pay either, by the way. You know Not- Steve Bannon. Yeah. Uh, for many people, he got his wings clipped. Yeah. Yesterday. Yeah. What is the future of Steve Bannon as far as you're concerned? Well, listen, I wouldn't count Steve Bannon out. Uh, uh, He definitely uh, lost yesterday, but Steve Bannon is a warrior. And Steve Bannon, that's a battle. That's not the war. Um, He's not my cup of tea politically. Uh, I disagree with him ideologically uh, on a lot of things. And there are certain things that I actually agree with him ideologically. Uh, But the whole notion of the whole Roy Moore thing, he's going to have to own that. uh, And at some point, uh, hopefully he'll have to explain that to people, uh, why he went in that direction so aggressively. Can you draw a distinction between his ideology and the ideology of President Donald Trump? Yeah, it's a very big difference. Walk Uh, me through that. So the very big difference, first of all, the president's his own man. The nonsense that Steve Bannon uh, won that election for uh, President Donald J. Trump is absolute nonsense. The president won the election himself. Uh, Steve got into the race in August after he'd already beaten 17 uh, uh, presidential candidates on the Republican side. Um, you know, they're very, very tell, different people. Anthony, tell our uh, global audience the pre- home. President's here. way more inclusive of a guy. He's less, quote unquote, this white nationalist nonsense. Tell us about the home you grew up in on Long Island. Tell, tell, hey, it's tell great. our, our, our national audience. Hey, listen, it was a, it was a, it was a great home. Uh, I grew up in a small, uh, single family home in Port Washington in a blue collar middle class okay. area. The, uh, my can, parents didn't go to college. I wanted to set that up. Can the Democratic Party get back to those people or have the progressives of the opposing party given up Port Washington? Well, that area of Port Washington, I think they've lost for quite some time, you know, but let's talk more broadly about Wisconsin. Middle, yeah, let's talk more broadly about middle America. I think that the common struggle that working class people have uh, faced with declining wages and faced with declining real living standards, I think the Democratic Party has actually disconnected from those people. Uh, It may be specific candidates like Secretary Clinton that disconnected. Maybe more broadly, there'll be a presidential candidate Mm -hmm. that can plug back into that. Uh, But you Mm -hmm. and I have been around Mm -hmm. long enough to know that politics is always in a state of flux. You get the right candidate uh, with the right message and the right level of charisma, they'll attract those people again. Are you going to do your SALT conference? 
Yeah, which salt, is not, salt. that's not state and local taxes. Yeah, right? no, salt, 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 salt will happen in May. Uh, in May. We're working uh, on, on the ben- venue. We'll be announcing that in mid-January. And it's our 10th anniversary this year. So I'm, I'm super excited to get the programming out there. Hopefully I can get you out there, Tom. Well, we'll see. You Anthony's meet the height requirement to come to Salt. So the, very good. And it's not state and local taxes. It's uh, <laughs> the conference on the alternative investment hedge fund space. Anthony Scaramucci, thank you hey, so much. It's a real much. pleasure to be Former here. Former White House Communications Director, founder of Skybridge Capital as well. We now drag in a gentleman whose notes are terse, sharp, and to the point, and that has made them of great value in the huge tumult of the last, call it 10 business days and political days as well, Mr. Greg uh, Valier. Greg, in your morning note, you have a wonderful set of issues, and one of them that is just so important is how the tax bill gets done after Alabama. How does Alabama shift the back-and-forth debate going on right now in Washington? Well, it's a real wake-up call, Tom. I think the, the conferees know that they got to get this thing done quickly. If, if things stall and we have the Doug Jones seated on the 2nd or 3rd of January, you're looking at a very, very tense vote with maybe Susan <clears throat> Collins or Bob Corker defecting. Yeah. So they got to get this thing done in the next week or so. You mentioned those names, and you also mentioned Mr. Rubio of Florida. Mm-hmm. Their power is enhanced this morning, isn't it? Yes, it is. That that one vote is so crucial uh, now because we go to 51-49. So you're absolutely right. It, it makes Mitch McConnell's life uh, more complicated, and it certainly shows that the president's political capital has been diminished. Greg, how does it change things for next year? I think it's going to be hard to get anything done, whether it's entitlement reform, infrastructure, Obamacare, you name it. I think that uh, you're going to have a hard time getting much through Congress. We always connect things back to the markets here on Bloomberg Surveillance and back to the economy. And it seems to me that beyond tax overhaul, what's in doubt in terms of what could have boosted the economy? Because for most people, they weren't expecting much from 2018 anyway. Well, I think that's right, and I think infrastructure is uh, is unlikely. Uh, I think what's in doubt beyond any question is Robert Mueller. That story gets hotter over the next few months. I think more indictments are to come. I think that if Trump's family get indicted, Donald Trump Jr. or Jared Kushner, Trump will be very tempted to fire Mueller. When's the bite time? First quarter of next year? Second half? What are we looking at? I think by the end of the first quarter, oh. uh, Mueller will be the dominant story in the city okay. by far. I'm going to rip up the script here, Greg. This is so yep. important. It's almost unimaginable. If we were to see the special counsel fired, give mm-hmm. us the Watergate perils in that the majority party, am I right, must respond? I think so. And, Tom, you know, one of the impacts of last night in Alabama is that. Trump is now an albatross for most Republicans. So once they get this tax right. bill done, and it will get done in the next week or two, once that's well, done, they're going to they're bolt from him. They're going to bail on Okay, him. but not to pin you down, I'm reading Cass Sunstein's spectacular monograph, Impeachment, where he does not mention President uh, Trump. Are you suggesting that the special counsel firing of Mr. Mueller would be a high crime and misdemeanor within the traditional mandate of impeachment? 
It would lead to a constitutional crisis. You know, I'm old enough to remember what happened with Watergate when Republicans went to Nixon and said, you know, the game is over. Exactly. I'm not sure we're there yet with Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan. I think they would need to see something far more provocative. I argue that by the end of the first quarter, a provocation will occur. I, I, I look at this, John Farrow, it's just extraordinary. You know, this is really the first time on the show we've really begun to consider something as draconian yeah, as the special and I will so, so far, Tom, so far what has happened, every time these headlines have dropped and things have seemed to escalate, <clears throat> the market yeah. jerks lower, then it gaps higher again. And I'm just wondering, if you get to the point where the special counsel is fired by the president, whether markets react in a more sustainable way where we gap lower and we stay there and we don't erase those losses because of the amount of uncertainty or whether it changes anything at all, Tom. Well, I don't know. Greg Villiers, very quickly here, do you see the markets linked to anything that would happen with Special Counsel Mueller? You know, the fundamentals are so good. Thank you, Janet Yellen. What a great farewell she'll have today. Uh, I think the key for the markets is, could you get 67 <clears throat> votes in the Senate yeah. to convict? I say no. Greg Villiers, thank you so much. Terrific briefing here. you're not a global wall street but you're a curious investor here beginneth the clinic with us dennis gartman i've been waiting for this all morning we spent hours with gartman most of it was unsuccessful this will be <laughs> successful dennis gartman on the futures market when yes. did you first walk into a futures pit my i bought my seat on the chicago board of trade i think it was 1977 and Long you had time. the coat and the little badges. Had the coat and, and the little badges. I did you do the hand thing? Like, oh, absolutely. You, you know? and, and I cleared through Virginia <clears throat> Trading Company, and you had to actually prove that you went to a southern school to be able to, to be allowed to clear through Virginia. Right. We wore what looked like blue blazers. We always had white shirts on. We always had our tie knotted. We were the southern okay. boys on the exchange. The days are gone, but of it's still days. the wild, wild west of Bitcoin exchanges. When you see CBOE... And you see CME into the action. Yeah. You're you're beyond. You look grizzled today, by the way. <laughs> you're a grizzled pro. What's your response to the futures boys jumping into Bitcoin? It's probably going to moderate prices more than anything. For the first time, you're actually going to have a market, an avenue where people can get short of Bitcoin. And as mm -hmm. long you haven't been able to do that thus far. And it, and it takes shorts to keep a market from going higher. It takes shorts and longs to keep a market moderated. And and I think this is it. It it, it brings. Uh, convention it brings right. uh, solemnity to the to the trading arena you write a midwest and southern authenticity to your note and it's about tangible co commodities yes not e mini futures blah 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 it's about wheat yes it's about corn yeah it, bitcoin has none of the value propositions it has, it, of a tangible that, does that's it? the problem i'm not sure whether it's a currency i'm not sure whether it's an asset i'm not sure whether it's a commodity i'm not sure what bitcoin is Maybe I'm too old. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's modern technology gone past me. But I wish everybody well who trades it. It it will it will probably be traded for years into the future and likely without me. But it is something that can be sold. There's a market for it. There are 13 year olds out there that you just told me are <laughs> clamoring for Bitcoin. Explain what you heard. I was watching television the other day and somebody was interviewing. I'm not sure which TV station it was on, but they were interviewing a 13 year old who had owned Bitcoin and was telling people how much money he had made. They were listening to him as if he was a, a grizzled old veteran on Wall Street. And he said, you buy Bitcoin. If it falls, you buy more Bitcoin. And if it falls, you buy even more Bitcoin. 
pros would say, that's the sign of a disaster about to happen. You don't keep buying something that's going down. And that's also in contradiction to your description of what makes a great trader like a gentleman, Jack Nash, I believe. Yeah. Explain what makes a great trader. The ability to take a loss. That's what, that's what makes a great trader. The ability to say, this has moved against me. Somebody knows something I don't know. It's not doing what I wanted it to do. And what makes a truly great trader is the ability to say, I'm out, I'm wrong, but then watching whatever you were trading move the way you thought it would and come back and pay so higher to get it back. Then on a log hyperbolic, definitely arithmetic hyperbolic chart like Bitcoin, when do you get to a normal market where people enjoy those emotions of, oops, I was wrong? I nobody don't. feels that, do they? No, nobody feels that right now. Everybody who owns Bitcoin feels like they have been, like they are a genius. They, in my mind, they have simply been lucky. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Time shall tell. It, can Bitcoin can Bitcoin become a, a true viable market? Yes, it can. Do I think it shall? No, I don't. Dennis, I want to get your thoughts on oil right now. Yeah. Uh, we had the two events in the last couple of days, the uh, shutdown of a pipeline in Scotland. Plus Which looked like it was going to be shut down for six weeks and may only be shut down for two or three. Correct. And then you also have the explosion at the uh, input processing facility outside of Vienna. Yeah. that supplies uh, natural gas to uh, Italy. What is your thoughts about investing in oil? Well, this morning, for the first time in quite a period of time, I'm actually going, I'm recommending being short of crude oil. And as I call it, I'm only putting on a single unit. I'm just starting the trade. I won't add to it unless it's profitable. But I'm doing that because one, the term structure has begun to change a little bit. The front months are losing to the, to the back months. The backwardation, as we're calling it, without becoming too uh, esoteric, is turning somewhat bearish. Chart... Uh, Technicals are turning a little bit bearish. Some trend lines are starting to be broken. And the fact that you didn't rally as much as one would have imagined, given the pipeline, the, the 40s pipeline from uh, the North Sea into Scotland, uh, didn't send crude oil up 2 and $3, yeah. sent it up for yeah. a buck and a half, and then quickly gave it back, tells me that the good news is probably in. Plus, finally, there's an awful lot of yeah. crude oil out there that has been drilled and has been un un uncovered. That, that will be opened up very soon. Anything above $57 in WTI is enormously profitable. So this means that, for example, the shale producers, they just turn the on switch. That's basically, they just turn the on switch. They've already drilled many of these wells. They just have kept them capped. Those can come online yeah. very, very quickly in a matter of two or three days. What do you see? You know, We make jokes about red wheat and winter wheat yeah, and all no. this, but what do you see in the grains right now? Is there an opportunity there? It's still a bear market, isn't it? We, we continue to, we've grown a big crop of wheat and the, and the wheat market keeps making new lows. You don't want to buy something that's making new lows. Pros would sell something that makes a new mm -hmm. low. The corn market looks like it wants to make new lows. The only market that is turning higher seems to be soybeans. And as I've said in my newsletter for weeks, uh, it's interesting that soybean meal, you don't, I learned long ago on the board of trade, you don't become bullish of soybeans unless it's led by the meal market and meal has begun to gain upon soy oil. And that's an incipient bullish comment, uh, circumstance. Finally, and this will really go out of the way, I watch the oat market. Gentlemen, do not trade oats. Gentlemen, watch oats. And the oat market has always been the canary in the in the coal mine of grains, and, and oats have been under so, pressure. So oats, I've never had this conversation, oats are hedged by the major food companies. Yeah, sure. The ConAgra's of the world, sure. right? Yeah, the Quaker Oats is the world. Don't sure. they play speculators like a bunch of buffoons? At the margin. I mean, aren't these guys just like looking at the speculation and you all on balance, you, you want to take a look at the CFTC's figures and you all you tend you, on balance, not always, not every time, but on balance, if, if the hedgers are short, you'd want to be short. If the hedgers are long, 
you want do, to be long. Do, do you suggest options for the individuals that want to get into uh, no, futures No, actually, first? no, I, I, I don't, uh, because the time value of the options seems to deteriorate against the you. The theta so kills you. Kills you over Kurtosis. Time. Yeah. Do you like that word? Kurtosis. Well, there's kurtosis in there as well as yeah. skewedness and other Greek letters. I was letters, hoping you'd get there. You want to play in the future. If you're going to play, play. Uh, I think if you're going to play, you want to play. Absolutely. If, okay. you're gonna, if, you, if you want to take a position in grain, <clears throat> I think you want to take a position in the grain futures themselves. It's a, it's a, it's a very good market. We're going to get set for the set for the Fed uh, uh, meeting here. Michael McKee is in Washington. He'll join us here in a bit. Dennis Garman will stand by uh, in Wax Philosophical. Maybe uh, he'll interview Michael McKee about uh, the important press conference today. Mr. McKee, of course, always asking in trenchy. They always pimp call on Mr. McKee late in the press. I don't know why they do that. Well, they get it's all like the silly Yell- questions out Chair of the Yellen's way first. Chair Yellen's running out of they steam. They get to the good question last. Yeah, absolutely. And so they go, oh, Mr. Key, we're ending, please. The last question to fry the chair. Yeah, and then usually that's about a, I don't know, three or four minute answer at least. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.